Taiwan's first domestically built submarine, the Narwhal, is undergoing harbor acceptance testing. If it passes, it could soon advance to sea trials and be delivered to the Navy by May 20th, which is when President Tsai Ing-wen's term concludes. In a plan launched by the Tsai administration, Taiwan will build eight submarines to support asymmetric warfare. The Narwhal is the first, and a second is expected by 2027. The eight submarines will join Taiwan's existing fleet of two Dutch-made subs, making for a total of 10 combat-ready vessels. The DPP won the presidential race last Saturday but lost its majority in the legislature. At its first post-election Central Standing Committee meeting, party members discussed what cost them the legislative election. Many agree that the DPP failed to resonate with young voters. Some warn that the party must learn from this election or risk a disastrous defeat in 2028. In his first Central Standing Committee meeting after the election, DPP Chair Lai Qingde started out by thanking his party members. During the election season, everyone came together and did their best to overcome all sorts of challenges. Every aspect of campaigning was executed to the best it could be, which was crucial to our victory. Here at the Central Standing Committee, I would like to thank you all. Although the DPP won the presidency, it lost seats in the legislative yuan, prompting calls for an internal review. The DPP's Wang Yichuan, who lost out on a party list seat, disclosed recently that he had received a letter from a young voter. From the letter, it was clear that young people don't care about facts and figures about the economy, Wang said. If Lai doesn't make improvements on youth issues, he said, the 2028 elections will be a disaster for the party. There are many aspects of this election that should be reviewed. If we don't learn from this election, we will be defeated in the next. Internal reviews are a tradition in the DPP. We all speak our minds during meetings. Going off the number of votes we received, you can tell there was less support from young people, especially in urban areas where there are more young people. Our vote share in urban areas was very different from that in less urban areas. We need to go to school campuses and speak with young people face to face. Whatever questions they ask, we have to respond with sincerity. The Central Standing Committee also approved the resignation of DPP Secretary General Xu Liming. Lai said the issue was unrelated to the outcome of the elections. Secretary General Xu has completed the duties required of him at this stage. He asked me to release him as I had promised. I'd like to thank him and give him my blessing. With the election now over, the DPP has challenges ahead in the legislature and a rocky path forward to 2028. Big changes are coming to the legislature on February 1st as almost 40 new lawmakers take office. As the outgoing lawmakers prepare to step down, rumors are flying about where they're headed next. Some speculate that the KMT's Lingwei Zhou may run for office as Xinju commissioner in 2026. The DPP's Tsai Peihui and Ling Jingyi are tipped as possible contenders for Nanto commissioner and Taizhong mayor, respectively. But for now, all three only say that they plan to take a break before deciding their next move. 
KMT lawmaker Lin Weizhou is at the office bright and early to pack up his things. His term ends at the end of January, and he has to clear out space for his successor. Reporters asked Lin about his plans for the future and whether he will run for Xinju County Commissioner after Yang Wenke steps down. I don't have such a plan right now. It's still too early to say, and I need to give my career plans consideration. I will continue to care about the KMT's development. That's a given. I will keep helping the party, but how I will do that remains to be seen. For example, this morning I went on a political talk show. I might take part in more programs like that in the future. Lin said it was too soon to plan for the 2026 local elections. For now, he intends only to support the KMT in a different capacity. Another outbound lawmaker is the DPP's Tsai Peihui, who's rumored to be a contender for Nanto commissioner. But she says that all she wants to do now is rest. I've been through a by-election, a legislative election, and a county commissioner election. I really am exhausted, so I need some time to rest. I want to go back to school to teach. After all, I am a professor. I will stay in Nanto because Nanto is my home. I am from Nanto and have always been in Nanto. Even if I go back to teaching, I will focus on universities in Nanto. Tsai stressed her commitment to her home county of Nanto. Meanwhile, outgoing DPP lawmaker Lai Kuncheng is said to be eyeing the Taidong commissioner seat. Fellow party lawmaker Lin Jingyi is tipped as a possible contender for Taichung mayor, but she says she's not keen on running for election. Right now, I'm focused on thanking my supporters and all the friends who have helped me over the past two years. Without a position in the government or politics, there wouldn't really be a way for me to run such a service office. Incoming lawmakers will take office on February 1st. Where their predecessors are headed remains to be seen. The dust is just starting to settle on the election, but some people will be coughing for a while to come. Figures show the incidence of vocal cord damage is up right now, perhaps influenced by all the brash sloganeering of the campaign trail. But lots of things can hurt the throat. Many people might be a bit hoarse at this time of the year. If your voice is feeling sore, listen up for some tips on how to take care of it from a throat expert. Political candidates roar slogans at a crowd who shouts them back. Campaign events on the streets of Taiwan have seen many candidates canvassing until the throats are hoarse. Wu Xindai made an unsuccessful bid for legislator in the Nangang Neihu constituency. She's got almost no voice left now, but candidates are not alone in that position. The incidence of strained vocal cords in the general population is up 20 to 30 percent. Speaking too loudly, shouting, or using your voice suddenly during acute vocal damage can easily lead to capillaries bursting, swelling of the vocal cord mucosa, or even hematomas. This can cause sudden loss of voice, hoarseness, or difficulty speaking. According to Dr. Zhang, if hoarseness persists for three to five days without improvement, you should seek medical attention promptly and rest your voice. The best remedy is drinking plenty of warm water and minimizing any habits that irritate the throat. Some people have habits around clearing their throat. For example, clearing their throat every few sentences, clearing phlegm, or using their voice continuously. These habits, when chronic, also make vocal cord repair more challenging. 
Doctors say that using a speaking tone outside your normal register or experiencing acid reflux due to overeating can also damage the vocal cords. To keep your throat happy, avoid tobacco and alcohol, sleep regularly, and maintain a balanced diet. The movie Outcast, adapted from Bai Xianyong's novel Crystal Boys, first came out in 1986 during the martial law era. Despite the conservative times, this film about a gay young man became a cult classic. Now, 38 years later, the Taiwan Film Audiovisual Institute is bringing it back to the big screen. It plans to digitally restore the film, working with the original creative team. Outcast was censored with 11 cuts when it first premiered. With those parts gone, the plot became disjointed. It is regrettable that the story was not presented in full at the time. Now that we are able to restore the original form of the film, I think that we should make it a priority. Today, homosexuality is no longer taboo, but back in those days, the feelings between queer people could not be discussed openly. We were very conservative then. Nothing could be made explicit. You could only use imagery to hint at things. I think that cuts to the film were made due to the social climate of that repressive time. In a society where you couldn't, in a closed society, lighting and cinematography played a crucial role. Outcast depicts gay men in Taipei in the 1970s, how they were marginalized by their families, society and the state. In today's Taiwan, gay marriage is legal and homosexuality is no longer a taboo subject. Even so, the film remains beloved for its enduring themes and for being a window into the country's complicated past. A Honghai subsidiary was hit by a cyber attack on Tuesday. The website of Fox Semicon Integrated Technology was hijacked so that it displayed a message threatening to release client data. This marked the first time a major Taiwanese business was targeted by a website defacement attack. It's possible that Fox Semicon had refused to pay a ransom, so the hackers put up the message to damage its business reputation. Hackers tend to be from Russia and China, so could this be a warning of sorts over Honghai's expansion into India? That could be something a certain authority doesn't want to see. There should be regular cybersecurity updates and patches for system vulnerabilities. If files or databases are encrypted, then even if hackers broke in and stole the files, they would not be able to open them. In a public statement, Fox Semicon said its IT department recovered its website after detecting the cyber attack. It said that there should be no significant impact on company operations. Honghai executives gave a statement on the incident to the Criminal Investigation Bureau on Wednesday. Zhengbing Elementary School, located on Jilong's Heping Island, hosted a very special guest on Tuesday. It was 91-year-old Miyoko Nishime, who was a member of the school's very first graduating class. Nishime studied in Taiwan during the Japanese colonial period. Her grandfather was a pioneer of Jilong's fishing industry and has been immortalized with a statue in his honor.
The principal of Jungbin Elementary School gives greetings in Japanese as students hold up a welcome banner. The special guest is 91 year old Miyoko Nishime, who looks thrilled to be back. She says everything is different now, but she fondly remembers her time at Masago School. That's what the school was called during Japanese times. She cherishes her memories here. Stepping onto campus, Nishime is transported to her student days. Much has changed since. She says that back in the day, she made it to school on foot and was very good at sports. Back then, she would walk to school, crossing the Yellow Bridge and making her way here. She had to walk about half an hour. In 1905, Nishima's grandfather migrated from Japan's Ryukyu Islands to Taiwan's Shariyo Island, now known as Heping Island. He taught fishing and equipment repair to local fishermen and was hailed locally as God of the Sea. To commemorate his contributions, the local government put up a monument in his honor. We did some calculations and found that she was among our school's first cohort of graduates. It's so moving. Such stories help our children learn about the school's history. We have an alum from the first graduating class ever, and she's in good health in her old age. We're incredibly moved. The granddaughter of the god of the sea is back at her school after 80 years. The students drew her a card featuring Taiwanese landmarks and foods to help her feel welcome in her old home. Many people are unaware that Puli in Nanto County used to produce coffee. Suga Hiroshi, a doctor in agriculture from Hokkaido University in Japan, is helping to uncover this secret. Together with his Taiwanese wife, Suga is cultivating coffee the traditional way on a plot of land they rented. He says it's not about making money, but rather about bringing the century-old practice back to Puli. In this untouched forest 400 to 500 meters above sea level in Puli lies Suga Hiroshi's secret coffee garden. Suga uses only natural planting methods to grow coffee beans here. He decided on this path after discovering that during the Japanese colonial era, his alma mater Hokkaido University built up infrastructure in Puli, including coffee farms. This is a Taiwan Daily News from 1931. It says, The Hokkaido Imperial University Faculty of Agriculture Experimental Grove in Puli has 40 coffee trees. There were already coffee trees here as early as 1896. Growing coffee naturally results in an aromatic and smooth cup, much like the way Suga is gently persevering in his goal of restoring Puli's coffee industry. During the Japanese era, experts from Hokkaido University came here and made enormous contributions to agriculture, forestry, coffee, and other areas. As a graduate of the university myself, who is now in Taiwan, I'm happy to carry on this history. I don't care about making money. I want to share the history of Taiwanese coffee with this experimental grove. Over 100 years ago, scholars from Hokkaido University chose Puli to grow coffee. A century later, Suga has taken up the baton, 
others might criticize his methods as the least profitable way to grow coffee, but Suga is happy to bring out the traditional taste of Puli coffee in every cup. Today we take you to an immersive art exhibition celebrating the 150th anniversary of Impressionism and featuring iconic artists. The works are presented in a variety of ways, such as through a 540-degree show presented in a circular room. The exhibit even uses AI to give old paintings new life. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang has the highlights. Taipei's new Impressionism exhibit is split into four sections. The first showcases pictures, videos, full-scale simulated paintings, and AI restoration of paintings. The audience can learn about the 150-year history and events of Impressionism and get to know the most representative paintings and painters. Aside from showing traditional paintings, the organizers also use technology to animate the works. In this exhibition, we gathered all the most famous paintings of Impressionism and we introduced the masters. We brought together highlights from the Impressionist masters in the 150th anniversary, including Monet, Van Gogh and Renoir. All the paintings of these masters are in our exhibition. Inside the venue, in addition to more than 20 reproductions and moving paintings, we're displaying more than 250 paintings presented in animation and set to beautiful music. Light and shadow are crucial elements in Impressionist paintings. Painters observed natural scenes at different times and in different seasons and weather conditions to capture the various light and shadow effects. This room showcases paintings of Van Gogh's Starry Night and Café Terrace at night. The entire exhibition took about six months to put together. These paintings are presented with light and shadow art. We've created a scene similar to the Palais Garnier. This exhibition took nearly half a year to prepare. We first collected the most popular and respected paintings of Impressionism over the past 150 years and discussed the plan with European and American teams. After that, we designed the space to be complementary. The fourth exhibition area features a 22-minute video in a large circular projection room. The room pays tribute to the Orangery Museum in France, a must-visit place for people who love Impressionist painters. The space is 4 meters tall with a diameter of 15 meters. We also created a 360-degree circular projection with a diameter of 15 meters and a height of 4 meters to present the best content and pay tribute to the masters of Impressionism. Organizers utilize the latest technology to restore the texture of Monet's paintings. Visitors can touch it. We first invited an oil painter to paint an original painting and then use the latest technology to enlarge it by 30 times. We felt that besides promoting the arts to our general audience, there is a disadvantaged group that cannot enjoy the beauty of art, that is, our visually impaired friends. So we especially integrated the latest technology to create a painting that visitors can touch. This is the first time Taiwan has made this and it is also the largest in the world. We want visitors to appreciate that an oil painting is made up of the accumulation of of brush strokes of all these layers. The visually impaired can touch and feel what they can't see. The exhibition pays tribute to the greats, providing an introduction to the history of Impressionism. The exhibition will be held till April 7th in Taipei. 
TV reporter Stephanie Yang and Zhen Chenluo in Taipei. And turning to the weather, all the way till Friday, fair skies and moderate temperatures are forecast island-wide. But keep your winter coats handy because a shift is on the horizon. This season's strongest cold wave yet is set to strike, sending temperatures sliding starting Sunday. By next Tuesday, lows could reach 6 degrees in the northern half of the island, bringing a chance of snow in regions just 1,000 meters above sea level. As the northeasterly winds weakened, sunshine finally broke out on Wednesday, leaving only the east coast with localized rain. Temperatures warmed across the nation, with the western half hitting daytime highs of 27 degrees. But big day-night temperature swings are set to persist till Friday. On Saturday, an incoming front will bring increased moisture, turning the weather damp and cool in the north and northeast. This will be followed by an intense cold wave that starts on Sunday. This cold wave will last longer and have a broader impact than the ones before. We expect that from Sunday to next Wednesday and possibly even to Thursday we will feel its effects. Its impact will be felt island-wide. Temperature-wise, we will see a very sharp drop across the board. The cold wave will be felt nationwide. Temperatures will slide starting Sunday, reaching lows of 10 degrees in the north by next Monday. In other parts of the island, lows could range from 12 to 15 degrees. The coldest period will be from next Tuesday evening to early morning the next day, when temps could hit 6 degrees in the upper half of the island and 8 degrees elsewhere. In the north, snow will be possible starting next Monday at 2,000 meters above sea level. From next Tuesday to Wednesday, there will be a chance of snow at lower altitudes in the north, as well as altitudes of 2,500 meters and above in central and southern Taiwan. This means that hikers could get lucky at Taipei's Qixing Mountain and Taipingshan in Yilan. We might get snow starting Monday night in the north and in other mountainous regions island-wide starting Tuesday. The scope and elevation range of the snowfall will be relatively large. The cold wave is set to be this winter's coldest yet, so bundle up and brace for the chill.